Well, what are Jesus' basic instructions before leaving earth? That's the question we've been wrestling through the last number of weeks. A couple weeks ago, we started in Matthew chapter 28. And um, we came to the conclusion, we boiled it down to really one simple, simple phrase that Jesus says. We are to what? Go and go and disciple. We are to go and disciple. And um, before we go to the nations, we need to go see Jesus first. And then we need to go to Jesus' family, the church, and tell the church what, what Jesus has been doing in our lives. And then finally we go to the nations, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, like just we just did a few minutes ago. And then teaching all people to observe what Jesus has commanded. So we're to go and disciple. And then last week we, we studied Mark chapter 16, the last chapter of Mark 16. And we came to the conclusion that we are to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And when you preach the gospel, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It really reverses the curse. Jesus comes in his redemption, buys back what has been lost, what has been troubling us, how sin has affected us. And as we've studied these last chapters in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, we've encountered the story of Jesus meeting his followers after, just after he rose from the dead. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus was handing the message and mission to people who didn't even believe that he really rose from the dead. In Mark 16, 14, we even find Jesus rebuking his disciples for their lack of faith, it says, and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I read uh, an author who humorously remarked, if it was I, I would have been thinking, that's it! It's never going to work! I'm going to have to stay here and do this myself! And yet Jesus handed over the Great Commission to these men who doubted his resurrection. And although Jesus didn't bodily stay, he sent his spirit to stay and accompany us on the mission. And so if I could just somehow get into your hearts, do you see the grace of God in this? That he has given us the message of grace? Isn't that utterly amazing? Do you see that you're actually a missionary in the place that God has put you in right today? Your job, your neighborhood, your school. Do you believe you're a missionary? Now this does not take anything away from those vocational missionaries. The ones we send somewhere else. We actually commission them and we, we lay hands on them and we say, you are our representative. You go over there. You tell others about Jesus because we can't all go. We have to stay and we have to do mission here. That's what we signify when we lay our hands on people. But we have a mission here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. You are literally a sent one. Do you realize that? Let me prove it to you. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 20. 
If you don't know where the Gospel of John is, just look at the front of your Bibles, look at the table of contents, turn to the Gospel, the Gospel of John, and uh, then turn to chapter 20, and we're going to start reading in verse 19. So John 19, verses 19, John 20, verses 19 through 23. The Apostle John writes, On the evening of that first day of the week, by the way, maybe someone doesn't have a Bible, share it with them so they can read it too. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his his hands and his, his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus is called the Lord. And again, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. Literally, they have been forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In these few short verses, we're going to find some very powerful truth. I think the key verse is in verse 21, where Jesus declares, As the Father sent me, so I send you. What does that mean? How was Jesus sent? Think about that. God the Son was sent in the flesh. He could have Skyped us, couldn't he have? But he actually came in person. Jesus showed up. That's huge. Proximity is vital to relationships. When I met and married Lori Henry, her status changed. She became my wife. And that will not change until death do us part. But after 16 years of marriage and four kids, we know each other better than anybody else. However, I've noticed, as we've been apart these last couple of weeks, that only proximity creates intimacy. Letters, emails, Facebooks, texts, even phone calls are nice, but nothing meets seeing this gorgeous woman face to face. You have to be with people to really do life with them. Isn't that true? See, God sent messages, and he sent messengers to us. That's actually what the whole Old Testament was about. He sent prophets. He, he, he had them write out God's word, and he, he wanted them to see who he really was and what he expected. But all of that was leading to when God would come personally. When he would show up. And that's why he sent his son. And for 33 years, Jesus did life with us human beings. Isn't this something more powerful than when you show up to visit somebody? Isn't it, isn't it so, so much more powerful when you visit somebody rather than just send them an email or, or letter? Often I've seen how it surprises people when I show up to visit them in the hospital. Calling them is okay, but being there is more important. 
Being sent as Jesus was sent means you will need to go and be with people who do not know him. It will mean that you will need to adapt to people right where they are without compromising the message of our King Jesus. As one writer said, sometimes we have to go sit in the smoking section to do mission. You will have to do life in unexpected ways. Remember, Jesus came as a poor person without a place to call home. He was homeless at times. And he suffered a lot. And he was persecuted. I think those are some of the clues to being sent like Jesus was sent. Jesus experienced loss. We should expect suffering and pain. It is the way of the master. And this is why you don't sign up for the job as a missionary. Do you realize that? You don't sign up. You are called. You are sent. And even though there's pain, there's even better benefits. And these benefits are not just for you, but are meant for everybody you would come in contact with. So here's one of the driving questions today. What would change if you believed that you were sent like Jesus? Okay? What would really change in your life, in your family's life, in, in Oshawa, in this nation, in this world? If you really believed that you were sent like Jesus? Well, I see three benefits of being sent by Jesus to be like Jesus as missionaries to this world. Here's the first one. The first one is that, the first benefit is that fear is replaced by peace. Fear is replaced by peace. Notice in verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. We read that the disciples were huddled together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews. We know from reading just the verses in context, the verses just before that, which is always what we're supposed to do when we read God's word, that Mary Magdalene had already seen the risen Jesus. And it brought this message in verse 17. Jesus had told Mary, this is what you're supposed to go tell my followers, my disciples. I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now this statement should have emboldened the disciples because Jesus was reminding them that they had a father. And they had a God who would look after them no matter what came their way. And yet, it wasn't until Jesus actually came and stood among them that they were able to receive the offer of peace. As Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, the God of peace raised Jesus from the dead. Brothers and sisters, we learn from this that we actually need to be with people to comfort them and to impart the peace of Jesus. When, When one of my children is scared of the night. They don't need me to call out from the other room. You're going to be all right. No, they need my presence, don't they? They need me to sit beside them and say, I'm here. In the same way, Jesus came to the disciples in the midst of their fear and was present with them. Jesus said, I'm here. And he's still saying it through the Holy Spirit. He's here in our midst. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is going to say, I'm here. 
In verse 22, we find that Jesus is now giving us his message and his presence through the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already promised in John 16, verses 26 through 27. Just turn the pages, a couple of pages over to, to John 16, verses 26 and 27. And we'll find out how the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to understand that God really is amongst us. Actually, John 14, I think it is. Sorry, John 14, verses uh, 26 and 27. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus had already explained that to his disciples and yet they were still afraid. Peace and power from the Holy Spirit is unlike the world's goal of peace. The world's goal of peace is really so, so that you can create enough space so that you can go and do what you really want to do. You don't have to follow other people's agenda. Just leave me alone. I think that's often how the world really thinks of peace. And with power, they think of to have power is to be able to be above other people, to dominate people. But that's not the peace and power of the Holy Spirit. The peace of the Holy Spirit is completeness and satisfaction in God alone, not the absence of strife. Otherwise, peace would always be in conflict with our call to suffer, wouldn't it? I couldn't talk about peace and still say, you might, you might have to give your life for Christ. The peace that Jesus is offering, that God through the Holy Spirit is offering, is shalom. It's life with wholeness. Peace is the gift of God's kingdom. You see, every other kingdom does not bring peace in the sense of completeness to the subjects that it conquers. But Jesus' kingdom brings true and lasting peace to those he has won. No wonder why this was the instruction Jesus gave his followers when he sent them out way back in Luke chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. He says this, When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. How much more that message today is needed since Jesus died on the cross? So, are you a bearer of peace? Do you impart the peace of Jesus wherever you go? When Jesus sends you, do you bring peace to your family, to your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, the sports field? Now I'm stepping a little bit. Or do you bring strife and division? Do conflicts with family members and friends die down? When you walk into the room? Or do you stir things up? Think about that for a little bit. The Holy Spirit lives inside you, then God's peace is available to you. And God's peace in you will conquer other people's fears. Therefore, peace overcomes fear because God is showing up in you through the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? My kids quickly go from fear to peace when I show up, most of the time. God's peace is personal, which is why Jesus is sending you 
as dwellings of the Holy Spirit, as carriers of the Holy Spirit to bring peace. So the first benefit that we find as being on mission with Jesus is that we are able to turn fear through the Holy Spirit, replace fear with peace. The second benefit from being sent by Jesus to be like Jesus is that doubt is replaced by joy. Notice in verse 20, after he, Jesus, said this, he showed them his, his hands and his side. Why did he show them his hands and his side? Because his hands had been pierced on that cross. And that side had been pierced by a sword. The disciples are overjoyed when they saw the Lord. We are spiritual beings. And that, sent, that, that means that we sense things physically with our bodies. Now I want you to notice what I just said. We are spiritual beings first and foremost. With, with, with physical bodies. Our spirits exist for all eternity while our bodies do not. That's why Jesus had to come and rise from the grave to give us the first of, he was the first part of the resurrection. New bodies. We're all going to get new bodies. You don't like your body right now? You're going to get a new one. You should still take care of this one because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? But you're going to get a new one. But we are primarily spiritual beings. Our bodies enable us to evaluate life from the moment we're born. That's what they're here for. As we grow, we quickly become aware that, that there are things outside of the physical realm that cannot be explained. We come to an understanding that there is a God, which is why there aren't too many three-year-old atheists, right? They believe that there's a God, unlike some who try to suppress it and deny that anything exists beyond this natural universe. And so what I find in my life, and maybe you find in your life, that our default mode, when we can't control things, when we fear, is that we, we often doubt, don't we? And we start to only think in the physical realm. Bills are tight. Let's go get some more money, instead of praying to God. Maybe we turn to physical things for comfort when life becomes uncontrollable. Drugs, alcohol, possessions, sex. Entertainment, wasting time on the computer. You name the physical idol that distracts you from God and is your false sense of, of control and comfort. Today, Jesus is telling you, get rid of idols. Get rid of turning to that idol when you doubt. When doubt, we doubt because sometimes that God is there. And so this is why we find in this passage that Jesus literally, physically shows up. In his grace, he showed up when the disciples doubted the report of Jesus being alive by Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus appears, and then he can also disappear, he comes and shows them his scars. And when that happens, doubt evaporates. It is replaced with joy. John specifically mentions Jesus showing them his hands inside. And I think this is really important because Jesus is accomplishing two things at once by doing this. First of all, he shows them that yes, he can relate to human pain. Doesn't that help you so much with your problems to know that you have a God who can relate to you? 
He can sympathize with you and your weaknesses. And he has the scars to prove it. But he also, he also has victory over evil and pain. This is true for us as Jesus' followers. We must be authentic with our weaknesses, with our struggles, and our pain. But from the side of victory, this is why we should wait to tell our story until after God has brought us through the trial. You see, the world just wants fellow strugglers. But Jesus today is the true healed helper. He is the true victor. He is the true champion. Joy comes when somebody looks defeated but becomes a victor. Didn't we all celebrate this week when our Canadian women's soccer team proved that though they were defeated, well, they lost at the hands of the Americans. They could get back up on their feet and get that bronze medal. Relate to people in their pain, but testify to how Jesus has brought victory in your life. God will then bring change in our community and our world through you. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will replace that doubt with joy, with really worship of the true living God. So, fear is replaced with peace. Doubt is replaced with joy. But what about people's sin? People need more than to be inspired by how Christ brought victory in their lives. They need their sins dealt with. Because as one of my friends has said, sin does not evaporate. Time does not heal all wounds that our sin creates. Only Jesus can. And this leads us to the third benefit of being sent by Jesus to be like Jesus on mission. Sins will be replaced by forgiveness. Sins will be replaced by forgiveness. In verse 23, we find this remarkable statement that Jesus makes. If you forgive anyone his sins, they literally have been, perfect tense, been forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now what does this have to do with being sent? Well, Do you realize that you bring a message of forgiveness wherever you go? You bring a message of forgiveness that's more than an offer, but a declaration. Since we are sent by Jesus, we are emissaries on his mission and have the authority to speak in his name and on his behalf. Jesus, who offers forgiveness and was empowered by the Holy Spirit, has commissioned us to tell people they are forgiven since God already has. This is why it literally says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they have been, past tense, forgiven. In this sense, God has forgiven people's sins, and then we become the human voice of God. Now, please don't confuse this with with what our Catholic friends teach and believe that you can be absolved of sin by the church. Rather, God has already forgiven people their sins through the cross of Christ. And then we can declare them forgiven if God from his word has already said so. Many don't understand this. I remember speaking at an Islamic center a few years back, speaking on Jesus. 
And I came to the point, and this is what really troubled them the most, when I said, Jesus will forgive you of your sins because he died on a cross. They immediately piped up and asked me questions. In fact, it almost sounded verbatim to what the Jews said in Mark 2-7. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I said, that's right. But Jesus is God. And he can forgive sins. And because you are with Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can declare people to be forgiven this very day. You can offer them salvation. You and I can't declare somebody forgiven if they're not repentant. I, I want to make that really clear. That's why in the later part of this verse, it says, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If a couple who are living together comes to you and says they want to follow Jesus, they can't experience the peace, joy, and forgiveness of God until they repent and get married or separate. This is true of any sin. Maybe you're looking at porn or reading wicked books like Fifty Shades of Grey. Maybe you've cheated at, at work or at your taxes. These sins must be repented for. But when they are, how do you deal with the guilt and shame? Declaring forgiveness is what is needed in our lives. You feel ashamed and guilty and need a messenger from God to speak that, to that shame and guilt. And so this is why, brothers and sisters... You go with this message. If you confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can proclaim that message to others. You can proclaim Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can speak on behalf of God as long as you are saying it from God's word. You have a powerful message today. Do you realize that? Isn't there something powerful when we confess our sins and another human being declares that God's word says they are forgiven? Sometimes I just need another human being to remind me of what God has already said. This is why James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. I know in my own life that I can ask God for forgiveness, but it usually isn't until I go also to the person that I sinned against that I experience the healing of forgiveness. Might be a harsh word that I've spoken to my family member. So ultimately, I sin before God, haven't I? Ultimately, always my sin is before God. And He forgives me. But since God wants us to have complete peace and complete joy, we must also make it right with other human beings. Confession, repentance, and forgiveness needs to be both vertical, vertical to God, horizontal to one another. This is why also Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is why it's so important for us to go with Jesus' message in person. However, you and I will not succeed today if we just stop there. We will not succeed unless we receive the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus himself was only successful in his mission because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
This happened at Jesus' baptism as the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. It says in Luke 4.1 that then Jesus was empowered, was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself testifies to this truth in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to replace to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus lived in such a way that he was submissive to God the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, listen up. One of the indicators if you are a follower of Jesus Christ is whether you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Before leaving earth, Jesus breathed on his disciples in the same way God breathed into Adam in Genesis 2, verse 7. The disciples were transformed from being spiritually dead in their transgressions to have, to have resurrection-infused life. That's what Sean just declared. He was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. His sins were nailed to a cross. They were buried with Christ, and he was raised to new life. You can be too. And that's why Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Christ was given the empowerment that only up until this time he had experienced. It's only he had experienced in his, in his perfect state. He had to wait until he had been glorified after the resurrection to give the Holy Spirit once and for all to his followers. John 7, 39 says this, by, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. And so we find in this passage in John 20 that Jesus was resurrected. And in his glorious new body that could go through walls and appear as well as disappear, he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this gift was not fully manifested in the disciples' lives until Pentecost because Jesus had promised that he needed to go away first. But I find in this episode to be a great confirmation of the doctrine of the Trinity. God is one in three persons. First, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into his disciples, which proves that Jesus is God. He's the creator God and exists distinctly, but also in union with the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit is Jesus' Spirit, as we find in Romans 8 9, this means that the Holy Spirit and Jesus work in perfect unison. And thirdly, we find since Jesus is localized in a body, he gives us the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can live in each believer simultaneously. He can live in Ed's life, he can live in Megan's life, he can live in Nate's life. Kenny's life, Paul's life. You can live in your life at the same time. The disciples back in their day, they only got to be really around Jesus when he was around them geographically. Now through the Holy Spirit, we can have Jesus all the time. Jesus' unity with the Holy Spirit also allows him to fulfill his promise that he will be with us to the very end of the age, which is why we can have peace and joy and forgiveness. 
So brothers and sisters, I want you to know today that God is working. God is working in our midst. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. They're all working. They're all working to replace fear with peace, doubt with joy, and sin with forgiveness. That's the message you carry. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus and be sent with him? A few weeks ago, we had our BBS program. And one of the big highlights was the Yancey concert. My youngest son, Luke, especially loved the songs that Yancey sang all week on video. Imagine his surprise when Yancey actually came out on this stage. He kept saying to my wife, Lori, how did she get out of the screen? Why she come? How did she become so small? It's cute. But I think some of us think of Jesus like that. How did God get so small? Take the form of a human being in Jesus Christ. But he did. He came for you and for me. Interestingly, it was the day after Yancey came that I walked into our kitchen and noticed that Luke was all by himself and um, he was eating his ice cream cone. I said, hey, what are you thinking about, buddy? And he said, I don't want the devil in my, my heart anymore. And I said, buddy, you don't have to. You don't have to have devil in your heart anymore you can have Jesus you can have Jesus as your king I said would you like to have Jesus in your life right now he said yes so I prayed with Luke to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and King that would have never happened if Jesus had not come to earth personally that would have never happened if Yancey And all of you as VBS workers wouldn't have been sent by Jesus into his little life. It's true. But here's the thing. It might not happen if you don't go to the Lukes of this world and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bring the message of peace and joy and forgiveness. Would you go? Maybe some of you actually need to ask Jesus to come into your life and become your king. We're going to have pastors after here. You can come and you can pray with us to receive Jesus as your king. Come to Jesus for salvation. In fact, everyone in this room has two things to do. One of two things. Either come to Jesus as your king or go with Jesus as your king with the message of peace, joy, and forgiveness. So what are you going to do today? What is the Holy Spirit saying for you to do right now? Do it. Let's pray. Father God, please save people here. 
There are some who need Jesus. I pray that they would come right now. They would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and King. May there be more than Sean and Luke and 27 that got baptized recently. May there be more, Lord. And Lord, everyone here who does know you as their King, would they go with the King's message of peace and joy and forgiveness? And Lord, would they bear much fruit? Would you just empower them? Would they receive the Holy Spirit in such a way that it's just, it's all about you and for your glory. If you agree with me, I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus. Please say amen. Amen.